Welcome to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT. If you're new to the program, this show is designed to educate its listeners on the industry's best practices in the design and construction of a single family custom residential home, your dream home. A custom home can be small or large. It can be located in a rural community or in a city. What makes it custom is intentional design. It's a home designed and built with a particular family in mind, yours. It's a home that maximizes your family's enjoyment of the structure while addressing such concerns as indoor air quality and minimizing the annual cost to heat and cool the property. These considerations can help your dream home qualify as more than just a custom home. It can be a high performance home. Even though high performance homes do not necessarily cost more than traditionally built homes, not all architects and custom home builders build high performance homes. And remember, a high performance home delivers far greater value to you than a traditionally built home. How do we do these things? By inviting industry-leading architects, custom builders, and other home design and construction professionals to share their knowledge with you. Our guest today is John DeForest AIA. John is a principal with DeForest Architects. DeForest Architects has offices in both Seattle and Lake Tahoe. John received architectural degrees from Yale and from Harvard's Graduate School of Design. After working with firms in New England, San Francisco, and Seattle, John founded DeForest Architects with a vision of developing a more collaborative, client-inspired approach to design. John serves on the executive committee of the AIA National Custom Residential Architects Network, or CRAN. In this program, John will discuss some of the tools his firm uses to help clients communicate their needs and desires for their new home. He will also explain how some newer digital tools can assist clients to visualize and better understand the options available to them in the design of their new custom home. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. You know, I know that you've been designing custom homes for decades. Can you share with our listeners an example of a really unique home you designed, maybe something that gave you a great sense of accomplishment, is really unique, or something that you're really proud of? Sure. Although that's a little bit like asking which is your favorite child because everyone is, <laughs> is special. Uh, but I'll go back to one of the, the earliest ones, which is a kind of a modern farmhouse in Iowa, I think 2000 something, oh something. And basically a couple, a great young couple out in the middle of Iowa uh, heartland uh, called me up and said, hey, do you, we really like your work. What little there was of it at that point. And uh, we wonder if you know any good architects in Iowa. And I said, well, I could be in Iowa. Um, <laughs> and we figured it out and uh, figured out how to work remotely. That wasn't a thing back then. Um, and what was really inspiring to me about that was this was a, a young couple in a place that I thought was kind of the conservative heartland. And they had a really special vision 
for how to live uh, in harmony with the land and their community. So the backstory was uh, Joanna did marketing uh, PR for local Amish and Mennonite farms in the area. Uh, Jeff also worked in landscape and they had this vision of establishing a little sort of demonstration organic farm in the middle okay. of Iowa. Um, so just their spirit of adventurousness um, kind of infected me uh, and gave me the license to do some kind of funky, interesting things with the farmhouse style. And that that initial collaboration, uh, really feeling like we were working side by side with clients has set the tone for the rest of the practice. That's a great story. You know, it, it brings to mind a project that I worked on, uh, a mm-hmm. restoration project. And I hired a bunch of craftsmen to help me just really make it just a a work of art. And even though I didn't know anything about architecture or or design, um, as the project owner, the person writing the check, I was very, very vested in the success of the project. And there was just times where when I was um, brainstorming with the the, uh, metal uh, fabricator, or the the team that was doing the uh, custom blown glass, I would make suggestions and, you know, it would just start us on kind of a different path. So I really felt it was mutually advantageous to have the project owner deeply engage with the craftsman bringing the project together. And it kind of sounds like this was that kind of an experience for you too. I think I think that's exactly right. And it's, it's easy to say the word collaboration and it's not so easy to live it. Um, For me, the key is, keys, I guess, are having a lot of empathy for the position that others are in, clients as well as craftspeople and other people in the office. Um, And then also just curiosity. Like if, if I'm motivated by designing something that's going to prove that I have all the best ideas in the world, that might be good for my ego. Um, It's not very good for my, uh, soul, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in I'm in this to learn, and some of our best projects have come from uh, learning from clients along the way and finding the right balance between uh, being inspired by clients and trying to inspire them is is a real art. If it's all one way or another, it doesn't work as well. But once you get into that flow that you described, um, it just feels very natural and it, you lose track of and you don't really care who had the great idea because you just keep building on it. And in the end, it means a lot more because it wasn't just, hey, I knew the answer from the beginning. <laughs> well said. You know, since we're just on this subject of clients, I, I know that you really prioritize having the client have a great experience and mm-hmm. having it not be that the work that they do with you and with the builder is just a necessary evil, but, but more like starting a business where, you know, a lot of successful business people will say, when's your, when your business is successful, right? That's not the ultimate. (laughs) The ultimate is the journey to getting from conceptualization to um, initialization and then the process of growth and change and then in the end, you do, you have this great successful business like you do with your architectural firm, but you try to make sure that the client really enjoys that journey. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about what a new client could expect as they begin to work with your team? Uh, yes, <laughs> I have so many thoughts about that. <laughs> um, and uh, before I go into detail about specific things we do, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the why. Um, my partner is a former serious river rafting guide, and he uses the metaphor uh, of a river guide as part of what we do. So if you think of custom design um, as a little bit like taking a rafting trip, uh, you know you're going to have an adventure. You're, you have to turn yourself a little bit over to the uncertainty of going down the river at a particular time. Um, you want a really good guide. And if you have one, it's not that the guide can guarantee that there won't be uncertainty or you know you won't run into a rock or something um, but at least you feel well guided and, and what that means is that you can enjoy that ride and the excitement of it so that when you get to the bottom wherever your destination is it's not just about getting from point a to point b it's having a great adventure and learning along the way and that's you know honestly designing and building a custom home is a long process it takes a lot of investment of time and money and heart and so i want people to come away with more than a great house i want them to be able to uh, i'm thinking of a particular client here if if you go over to his klaus his house uh he would point out details and tell you about all the thought that went into it nice. and i just know that it means much more to him um, so some of the things that we do that i think many architects uh do in their own ways um, I think it's really key to give people language to talk about what they care about. Um, so we have a couple of homework exercises in the beginning that help people kind of tap into past experiences and start to think about and talk about the architectural aspects that go into the meaning for them. So for example, one of them we call spatial histories where we ask people to list everywhere that they've lived and then choose five of them that really stick out in their memory and then describe those in terms of the five senses. Sometimes that seems a little bit artsy to people, uh, <laughs> which it is. It's kind of stealth artsy. Um, but what it gets away from is uh, it's it's easy to kind of go straight to the concrete of, well, I want a, you know, I want the dishwasher on the right so I can unload the glasses to the right place. Um, or focus on square feet or other dimensions like that. What's really going to make uh, the house mean something to them is the experience of it. So getting them to talk about experiences, you know, like one client talked about uh, the window seat in her grandma's house and how the sun would hit it and how much, it, how great it felt to curl up in that corner. We can do all the fancy architectural details in the world and it's, it's that experience of having the right spot in the right place for that person that's going to make it memorable. So that's one example of things that we do uh, to kind of give the, give the process some foundation in what really matters to people. Another thing that I think is incredibly important is giving people the tools to be part of the process. So the, as architects, we spend a lot of time in school and training to use all sorts of technical tools that are that can be kind of opaque um, to somebody who doesn't have that training. And I think cynically, sometimes uh, architects can use that to kind of hold the architect, hold the uh, 
uh, client outside of the process uh, because it, it gives you more control. If, right. if you're the only one that can touch the drawings or the models or even really understand them, um, then you stay in control because we're focusing on learning and curiosity and making it the client's house. We're a little bit more willing to let go of that and welcome people in. Um, and honestly, it makes it a lot more fun. You can see people. So I'll give you an example just to make it more concrete. So one thing that we do for many projects is we make a set of wooden blocks that correspond to what people have uh, said that they think they want to build. So it's okay, you know, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. So we make these blocks that are the right sizes at a certain scale. And then we show them a lot of different ways that can that they can be stacked up. And we have thoughts based on our expertise about what works, but the clients are, are literally able to pick up a block and say, hey, well, what if we move this over here? Oh, I see why that's over there. And you can just see people um, getting excited um, because they're having the fun of being a beginner in the process without the scary part of, gee, I don't know, the first, you know, left and right and up and down and I can't draw and everybody can pick up a block. Uh, and if they've done that first homework assignment, they know how to talk about, uh, gee, if we move this block over here, then I could have that window seat in the sun in the morning and that meant so much growing yeah. up. Um, so just in uh, philosophy, I guess, uh, whether it's a low-tech tool like a block or a high-tech tool that we'll talk about later, our goal is to put clients in the know and trust them that they are smart about themselves. Uh, they're smart about what matters to them and that that's going to lead to something meaningful at the end. And they're going to end up living in more than a house. They're going to end up living in a place that's full of memories of being very thoughtful about how they want to live, how they want to be with their family. Um, that seems like a real... Uh, gift in one's life to be able to be thoughtful about. It's it's a luxury to be able to design your own home. And so I would hope that it would be more than, uh, you know, showing off to the neighbors or having a 12 car garage or whatever <laughs> sort of status symbol you want it to end up meaning something. So what I told you I had a lot to say about that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What a beautiful way to put it. I, I tell our sales guys, that um, because many of the clients that we build custom railing for, this will be the first time they've had a custom metal fabrication um, on their home. And, and you know, if you, like you, you you're using uh, custom metal fabrication all the time on the projects you're designing, but for some homeowners, they've never done it before. So just kind of explain to the, to the team, you got to kind of put them in the picture. They have to be able it's more than just hearing words. They have to envision themselves there. And the way you explained um, engaging with the clients and, and getting them to start thinking about what experiences are, are meaningful to you from your past. Let's try to integrate those. I, I love it. I, I, I Well done. Well done, John. So John, I know that you work with a number of custom builders and these builders do an amazing job of taking what you've designed and bringing it to life. Am I correct in assuming that when you're working with a client and it's time to choose a builder, you make recommendations of custom builders 
that maybe you've worked with in the past that you'd recommend they interview? Yeah, that's that's right. And I'd say a fair amount of the time, uh, a client will come to us and say, this is somebody who worked in the past or who's worked in the area uh, or we've heard good things about, in which case we just, we go back to uh, what do you need and what does the project need before we even talk about who to recommend. Okay. And there's there's a lot that goes goes into that. I think the baseline is uh, we wouldn't recommend somebody that we didn't think was up to the job and had a good track record. Um, obviously a lot that goes into that, but basic honesty, track record, do they have the right size of crews and skills? And then beyond that, it's important to know that uh, there are a lot of variations in how to be a good contractor. Um, and so again, it, it's a matter of what does your project need? So we have a little exercise that we go through with, I don't know, eight or so categories and we rank them. We go through with the client and say, how important is this to you? With the understanding that usually people want to pay, you know, as little as possible for all the other <laughs> things that they want as possible. I mean, I would too. Um, so it's things like craftsmanship. Well, what we want a well-built house. Where on the spectrum does this fall in terms of the level of skill needed? Uh, well, project management. We need good project management, but what is the what does B plus look like? What does A minus look like, et cetera? And that's personal. Some people are really want everything nailed down and kind of constant tracking and reporting and some people, which costs money, takes people time and skill and other people are more comfortable putting their money into the construction and not, uh, you know, not having as instant feedback. So we have a good conversation about that. And then we recommend uh, two or three people or companies and we have sort of tips on how to interview them and what are key questions. Nice. So I'll give some examples of those just off the top of my head. Things that I look for. Um, what role will the the owner of the company have? Because often you're interviewing the owner of the company, and is that just his or her role, or you know, will they be? How will they sort of back up the project? Who are the specific people working that they're proposing to work on the project? One thing to know is that the the superintendent and project manager. Um, are people that you're going to see a lot when the project's under construction. Um, to be fair to the contractor, if your project is pretty far from breaking ground, they may not know exactly who it's going to be because projects naturally shuffle around, in which case you can just ask them, hey, tell me the one or two or three most likely people and why you think they're great, why you think they would be a good match. Um, I also like to ask, uh, you know, run down your key people and let me know how long have they been with a company in that role? Because what happens in times of change, which seems to be always, um, <laughs> especially, I was going to say especially recently, but I, I don't know, it's maybe always, um, you might have, you might find out later that uh, the guy on your job is a good guy, but this is the first time he's played the role of superintendent. Um, and it can go the other direction that, uh somebody used to be at a higher level and now they're at a lower level or a different role. So I think that is, that's important. And then uh, what we'll often do uh, is, again, we give the clients a, a list of questions to ask references, and then we'll call architect references. If this is somebody that we haven't worked with before um, and just kind of triangulate and uh, 
then compare notes. And in the end, the goal is that uh, we've narrowed it down to a very hard choice. And there might be two people that the client says, well, gosh, I don't know what to do. They all both seem really skilled and they both uh, you know, have great companies. And I don't know how to say no to one of them, at which point that's a good problem to have because you're not <laughs> going to go wrong. And you can kind of go by feel and say, well, I just, I feel like I'm going to have an easier time communicating with this firm owner or right. project manager or so forth. And I should say, we, we, we actually go through this process fairly often because we design projects around the Northwest, but also outside the Northwest. So it's pretty common for us to go into a, a new town, like we're just starting a, a project in Spokane where we haven't designed a house before. And we're doing all of this due diligence to find out who might be a good match for the project. Those are some great suggestions. And uh, I, one of the nice things uh, about uh, this format of, of sharing information is that these um, programs are all recorded and uploaded to Spotify. So if you're listening and um, you didn't, we weren't in a position to take notes, could go back, uh, download this program and listen to that portion that John just walked us through in terms of how to go about choosing a builder, because it's really important. And and don't feel bad when you have to tell one of those two top choices that you're going to go with the other builder, because in the world of business, we get that. There's just going to be projects that you you put your best foot forward that you don't get, but um, other things will, good things will come from that. So no one, no one quality is expecting to win every job and, and no quality uh, uh, builder uh, is going to uh, hold anything against you from having done your due diligence and ultimately choosing someone else that they can honestly say is as qualified as they are. Yeah, they would love to get the job, but they're going to go, yeah, you made a good choice there. And then in the next uh, situation, it's going to be exactly reverse. And that builder who you uh, didn't go with is going to win a project and the other builder is not. So as John said, um, go through those steps and then hopefully you wind up with two super solid candidates that you know are going to deliver. And then you just kind of follow your heart wherever, whichever relationship you feel uh, is a better fit for you. I think I should jump in there and say something yeah. about when to hire a contractor. Thank you. Because uh, I think a lot of times people wonder, well, do I talk to the architect first? Do I talk to the contractor first? Do they have to have worked together You know, many, many times? All of those work. Um, I think there there is a, uh, I guess I have a strong opinion about hiring a contractor early. The kind of conventional magazine wisdom is, uh, you know, if you're, I don't know, buying a dishwasher, get three quotes, or if you're re-roofing, get three quotes, always get right. three quotes. The reality is that with a custom project, whether it's a new house or remodel, um, you are hiring the contractor as much as an advisor um, as a product provider. You okay. really, uh, it's almost like hiring an accountant or a lawyer or an architect for that matter. They're going to advise you on how to spend the bulk of your money on the project, which is the right sub, which are the materials to go you know, less expensive on, which are the ones not to shortcut. Um, so you want to have that advisor involved early and have them uh, giving you feedback, giving us feedback, and collaborating on reaching your goal early rather than feeling like, gee, I have to figure out everything 
uh, in great detail. And then I'm going to have competitive bidding kind of in the final, the 11th hour before construction. Because a couple of realities are the really good company that you want to work with may not be available in the 11th hour. Um, and because your project has not been done a million times, it's not like the thousandth car off the assembly line. Right. Uh, there's no way that an architect can draw and specify every single thing that the project is going to take. So you're relying on that contractor to give you their best expert advice on what things are going to cost. If they're in a bidding situation, then there's pressure for them to take the most optimistic. And I'm not saying they're necessarily dishonest. It's just there is pressure to uh, give the most optimistic view of how costs will come out and probably the one with the most integrity who tells you like, tells you like it is, um, is not going to be the lowest cost, but right. he's giving you the best advice. So yeah. hire somebody that you trust early and you can talk about how they're going to charge, uh, you know, on what basis there are several different ways, um, to figure out their profit. But I would, I would just remember that their overhead and profit number is kind of the tip of the iceberg of costs. And if one person costs 1% more than the other, I would pay the 1% more if I think that their advice is going to leverage all the other money that I spend well. Well said. Uh, Yeah, well said. That is so insightful. And it's, it's one of the things that I think is a reason to have a, a residential architect on your team, even if you live in a community that doesn't require it, because that's the kind of insight that the architect would share with you. And if you're, if you're just working with a design builder, there's some great design builders out there. Just recognize that you lose that uh, third party totally connected to you and the success of your project feedback, just like John just did right there, where the architect can just help you to understand, yeah, XYZ is going to be a little bit more than these other bids, but the quality, the craftsmanship, the things that you're looking for, they will deliver. So yeah, I appreciate the way you laid that out, John. So I want to change change gears for just a second. Sure. So we're we're a custom railing manufacturer, and one of the things that I have learned is that when when we are uh, communicating design ideas to to our clients, to homeowners, it's different than when we're communicating those same ideas to architects or or, or custom home builders. So with a custom home builder uh, or an architect. We can just show them the technical drawings and go through, through through all those materials and they got it right away. When we're dealing with homeowners, it's not the same. The, the drawings are, are necessary for the project to move forward, but we found that we really need a physical sample or 3D modeling or something in order for the client to really get, get it. To like, ah, yeah, I see it. Do, do you find the same thing in designing custom homes? Do you use models or mock-ups or anything like that to help your clients during the planning and design portion of the project? Tons. And <laughs> it's not just for the clients. We design better when we use the full array of tools from 
you know, a block of wood to the most digital rendered everything. So starting just with, uh, what's the opposite? IRL, <laughs> opposite of VR. Um, if you were in our office right now, you'd see that there are note cards all over the place that have the dimensions of the space so that we can look up and say, huh, I'm drawing something that's an eight foot wide window. Oh, I'm also looking outside, looking out a window that's eight feet wide. Um, to tie things back to reality, there's nothing like reality, I guess. So often when we're, that. <laughs> yeah. So when we're meeting with clients, often, um, let's say we're working on a detail, I'll often just jump up and go to our back room and grab a couple pieces of whatever it is, two by fours, um, and put them together so that we can all use our kind of sensory intelligence to say, huh, that seems kind of chunky, or that seems a bit fine, or that looks great. And that applies to a detail or different finishes together, or we do still use uh, quite a few physical models. And I would say that they're all study models. These aren't show-off models, like uh, here's the end result and it's all pristinely done in white cardboard. These are models that uh, you know we've cut up using scissors and taped together and tried this and tried that. And again, we'll show clients that. And it it does a couple of things. Again, it it puts it it puts questions in their hands in ways that they can use use their own senses and not through the filter of a drawing, which, as you say, can be very technical and kind of abstract. And it also gets across the work uh, that it took to get to a good answer. Mm -hmm. If you kind of go straight to too polished a uh, digital rendering of something. Um, there's a natural, I don't know, suspicion that it was too easy or that design is just a matter of plugging something into a machine when in fact, uh, whether it's physical or digital, there are just countless steps that go into, hmm, that, that pokes out a little bit too far here, let's pull that back. Um, that's what design is. It's, it's like a, a lump of clay that you're pushing and pulling into shape and using your all your senses and judgment um, to make it work and feel and look right. Uh, yeah. So Go all ahead. sorts Go of, ahead. I think that there's nothing like a mock-up and I love being creative about, uh, I'm thinking about, it. we had one client who the, the main staircase was landing fairly close to the front door. Um, so we just measured it out in the office and taped it out and said, okay, here's the door in the office and here's the first couple of steps and then we had him walk through the door and that answered once and for all a question instead of just having this leap of faith. Well, I guess it's okay. You know, it looks okay on paper, but I don't know what it means on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that goes back to the spirit I was talking about in the beginning of uh, we're in this to have make better projects by equipping our partners to be part of it. Um, so looking at a chunk of wood is something that we can all do. We don't, you know, it doesn't take X number of years in college and grad school to understand that. And that's the great thing about home design is everybody's got experience that's relevant. They know what it's like to live in a house and in the world. Yeah. What a great outlook. I love it. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. With us is John DeForce, AIA, Principal of DeForce Architects. So, John, before the break, I mentioned that DeForce Architects is utilizing a number of tools 
including 3D modeling and virtual reality in the design of your clients' new custom homes. Can you tell us more about some of these tools and how your team uses them? Sure, sure thing. Um, and I would go back to uh, the whole point of having tools is to put them in clients' hands and help them make good decisions so they can be part of the process. Um, and I would say I went to grad school when we were on the cusp of uh, drawing things by hand and drawing things on computer. So I'm kind of a master of no trades, um, but I'm familiar with several. So that's something I'm proud of in the office is that we're neither stuck in the past nor are we uh, only able to use digital tools. So I feel like we're we're able to use the right tool for the job and that's part of what we're here for. So on the more technological side of things, I don't know, for at least 10, maybe 15 years, we've been using what's called building information modeling, which needs a better needs better branding. But basically what it means is it's superpower software that uh, you kind of draw in two dimensions and three dimensions at the same time. And really what you're doing as time goes on is you're building a model of a house or whatever it is um, in three dimensions. And then you're kind of harvesting the 2D information needed to build it out of that. So by the time you're ready for construction, you've got this very accurate, very detailed 3D model. Um, and then you can kind of extract lots and lots of different information that'll help the builder. What's great about that is uh, very early in the process, uh, we're able to show clients rough 3D views of things and again, help them make use their own eyes to make decisions um, and not be surprised later when something doesn't look the way they expected because they're looking at it all the way through as opposed to an abstract uh, okay. drawing. So uh, that's been really powerful change, a shift that we make because it used to be that you would have a 2D drafting program and then you would have maybe a 3D modeling program and they didn't talk to each other. So inevitably they got out of sync um, and you you might uh, fall in love with something in the 3D model that isn't actually reflected in the construction documents. Um, so that's been a big step forward. As time has gone on, the software that we use um, has been smart and helpful about providing ways that uh, clients can view the models on their own. So we can, as we're working on something, let's say we have a meeting and we walk through the model and we're rotating it on the screen and slicing and dicing it and looking at different parts of it, that's a lot to absorb. We can send them a link to a very easily viewable model of that. So over the weekend, when they have time, they can look through it and really absorb it and then give us good feedback when they've had time to do that. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's been a great uh, integral step. And I think one step beyond that um, is that we can run that model uh, through a renderer that then adds more of what real life adds. So how does sun fall? How do reflections work? Um, even there are things that can you know, simulate the wind rippling through the grass, which is a little silly, um, but pretty cool. Um, and what I'd say about that is it can be really powerful when it's used at the right time. If there can be a kind of fatigue of seeing too much uh, and especially too early that's photorealistic um, because you don't know what to focus on. You're just reacting to something that kind of looks like reality when maybe the thing you really need to be focusing on is you know, how far 
a part of the kitchen counters instead of is that really cool reflection in the window uh, <laughs> over there. Um, so that's something that we have to be smart about. When do we show what level of detail? It's great to have this tool shed where we can do a sketch with a pencil or we can do a photorealistic rendering. Um, and again, that, that BIM modeling software helps keep it all uh, kind of on, under one roof. Um, it used to be that a, a real challenge and a fair amount of time was spent just making sure that things stayed in sync. So let's say I, I change something in the plan with this software, it changes the representation in all the other ways that it's shown. So something as simple as an electrical outlet, if I move it in plan to a different wall, it pops up when we're looking at that wall in the model or uh, interior elevation. Um, whereas in the olden days, we spent a lot of time kind of cross-checking, going back and erasing and redrawing. Um, so one step beyond that, that we got into quite early, we had a couple of clients who uh, were doing startups involved with virtual reality um, and kind of playing around with the early version of it and said, hey, you guys got to get into this. This is perfect for your industry. And I remember being pretty skeptical that I thought it would be a gimmick. Um, <laughs> and then I tried it. I tried an early version. And I thought, wow, this is this is great because it, it made me feel more like I was there. I could use more senses. So it's it's not, there's no confusion about, oh, I'm really in a house. Uh, but you, it's like you're in a full-size model of the house and you can use more of the way you move in a space to measure it. So you can walk into a room and say, oh, this feels cozy or this feels spacious or this feels too big. And what if I look across the courtyard? What can I see over there? All these ways of just really naturally experiencing a, a space um, uh, come to you intuitively. And what surprised me was that it was a really pretty simple process for us to download that model that we'd already built. It was what was going to be built uh, into this VR system so that uh, people could walk around, whether it's early in the design process or late, uh, well, I'll tell a story that's kind of fun about the, the early part. Um, we had a, early on one of our first, maybe the first client to walk through their house in VR, um, did that and they were you know, really excited and really enthusiastic. And they took the headset off and said, when can we bring our kids over? Like they wanted the kids, you know, to come and see the house and that it had been so real to them. That's cool. That, uh, yeah. They're like, we want the kids to come over to the house. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum, we've had people walk through right before we're about to issue the construction documents and go through room by room. Instead of, say, doing an electrical walkthrough with, you know, two electricians and a contractor and an architect and so forth, kind of leaning over your shoulder and saying, do you want the outlet there? Is that okay? Do you want the outlet there? How does that light look? They were able to walk through the drawings of the house in virtual reality and again, use their own senses and say, oh, gee, I need an outlet on the end of the island. Oh, there it is. Yeah, that's a good spot. Or that seems a little high or low. So yeah. take some of the, I think there's plenty of mystery in design that we don't need to mystify things that we don't have to. So it takes some of the worry out of, oh my gosh, what if I walk into the house when it's all framed up and I've spent a bunch of money and this looks bigger than I thought or smaller? Um, again, back to the experience part, we want the clients to have as much of the fun part and as little of the 
scary part as possible. So if we can reduce that, this is one more way to do that. The other thing I'll add on to that, like one more level beyond that, <laughs> that we've used in limited cases, because it takes a little bit of tech savvy, um, we're able to set up a way that we can uh, set up the client with a headset wherever they are. And one of the first cases was a repeat client who was working uh, in London uh, and we were collaborating on the house that he was designing to come back to with his family. And so each of us had a headset, whatever, how many thousands of miles away that is in time zones. And we walked through the whole house and, you know, pointed like, oh, that is the view out of the kitchen window. What do you think about that tile pattern? And, and I just remember the feeling of uh, taking off the headset. And I had this really visceral feeling of, I felt like I'd just been with that person who is a, a friend and a repeat client. I felt like, I, I feel like I just hung out with Jason in his new house. <laughs> um, it was, it was amazing. And the technology just kind of works. It doesn't have to be photorealistic to have that feeling of co-presence, I guess they call it. Uh, so that's something that we're using with most projects. There's some cases when it just doesn't make, make sense, but, um, and some people <laughs> like to visit multiple times as kind of testing out ideas and some people just once or twice, um, but it's it's there, and I think I think more architects should use it. Uh, honestly, you know, especially especially residential work. I think they use a lot more in commercial work. Mm -hmm. um, but I think most of our clients are new to the process, or at least if they've you know done a remodel before, they they haven't done it a million times. So making it really easy for them to inhabit the design before it gets built just makes sense. But go ahead, you were going to say. Yeah, I was going to say that in having you walk through it, it really caused me to think about how liberating it would be to just walk through virtually the project and look for things that aren't what I'm looking for, not what I want, like, like a space that should feel differently. Or as you mentioned, um, an outlet that you should be somewhere else. Like all these little changes I can catch by virtually walking through and, and, and eliminating the feeling of as you get too far along the process to go back and make a change. Um, again, going back to looking at the drawings, uh, most homeowners aren't going to be like getting all the information by looking at the technical drawings. Um, but when they do that first walkthrough, the fear of it's too late for me to be able to make this change without it costing just a lot of upset in the process, I eliminate that because I'm virtually walking through it before the home's even framed up. Right, exactly. And, you know, contractors love it, too, because the contractor's nightmare is uh, being on site and the client says, Oh, geez, the architect didn't tell me that window is going to be too big, exactly. so big or so small. And the, the contractor's thinking, gee, I don't want to throw the architect under the bus, but why didn't they talk about it? Um, yeah, it's been a great, great advance. And it's fun, too. There's a there's a little bit of playfulness in it. Um, you know, I've had people sit down on the floor to simulate, you know, what could they see out of the bathtub? Um, or we'll we'll stand there taking notes as they walk through from room to room, and they'll say, "Oh, gee, I you know now that I see it, I realize I want such and such over here." 
which makes it a very efficient. One of my early worries with it was that people would just want to see every change spontaneously in VR and spend all the time there. And, and in fact, it's been more efficient that people do a walkthrough and there's kind of a natural, after a little while, you get tired of having the headset on on your head. And uh, anyway. Yeah, they're and good. they're good. They're I'm good for now. C- c- continue on. <laughs> yeah. And yet another case where I almost feel guilty because so much of what we've gotten good at, our clients taught us. Now it's a classic case of somebody saying, you should ask us about this or you should have this. And we've just been barely smart enough to say, you're like, huh, yeah, we should do that. (laughs) Like the homework assignment that I mentioned in the beginning uh, was directly from a client saying, hey, I really want to tell you about these, you know, important experiences. That's great. It's great that you are humble enough to value that feedback from your clients. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. With us is John DeForest, AIA, Principal of DeForest Architects. So John, talk a little bit about what your thoughts are on artificial intelligence. Do you think it will have an impact on residential architecture and construction? Uh, and And I'm going to be completely honest in the spirit of collaboration and say, Yes, and I don't know how, um, but some thoughts I have about it. One of the things that we set out to be in our firm is expert beginners. Um, I've always liked the thought that we're good at beginning things, we're good at taking a fresh approach. And when each new tool comes along, whether it's blocks or BIM software or VR, or um, I think design and designers um, are in a great position to make make the best of those new tools. So I take AI as one of those. We can either take it as a threat and kind of get into a defensive posture. And I'll admit, I had that first impulse of like, well, nobody can do, you know, what I do. And, <laughs> um, and you know, in the brief time since I've been learning a little bit about it, I've switched over to like, hey, you know, we want to be the people who figure out how to new, use this new thing um, with heart and soul. And maybe someday machines will figure out how to emulate heart and soul. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. But for a while yet, I think uh, the tools are part of it. Um, but the, especially for residential design, and I, I believe for others, um, we still have heart and soul. And if we bring that to the use of those tools, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visualize it being a positive thing. Um, exactly what form it takes, I don't know. And that's part of the spirit of venture that we, I think we need to take. For me, uh, design is the, is all about possibility. I was going to say the art of possibility. And then I thought that sounds kind of pretentious, but it is about <laughs> what gets me excited about it. What, what really gets me excited about it is uh, design is the art of the possible uh, and having more tools and more things to explore gives me hope that we can come up with something that's meaningful for today. I really like that. Design is the art of the possible. You know, just listening to you uh, go through that really quickly there, it brought to my mind the difference between running a successful business and being an artist. And many, many artists 
put the art ahead of running the business. And the best businesses are able to merge those together. So you might think of like whoever was building the best horse-drawn carriages eons ago. And as the transportation industry moved towards cars, that business could legitimately say, we build the finest horse-drawn carriages in the world. But if they weren't aware of and attentive to the changing market, they got left behind. Yeah. And so you're saying that that at DeForest Architects, you accept tools for being what they are, tools to help you deliver for your clients. And just because it's new, you're not dismissing it. You're going to continue to check it out. And if there's a way to implement it, it sounds like it's a possibility that you'd even wind up using it. Yeah. And at a, at a really personal level, um, uh, design and making things is a way, I believe, to show you care. Um, it just happens to be, you know, a mode that works works for me and others in the office. There are other ways to show that you care, um, period. Yeah. So I don't, I do not think of myself as an artist at all. I'm not, I don't think I'm qualified to even comment on that. We certainly run a business. Um, the question of, you know, why run a business and why does it matter? And, you know, why do you care? That's, that's the more interesting part of it. And we practice design to be of service to others and to, you know, find again, new, new possibilities. So nice. So, so John, um, many of the listeners may not know your firm. Uh, you are well-respected in residential design. Uh, you're part of the AIA's custom residential architects network. Uh, you've been involved with CRAN well, since I got involved uh, four or five years ago. And before that, you were a part of the Cora team. Again, uh, a, a network of architects primarily uh, doing residential design. Uh, you have been featured, your firm's work in Fine Home Building Magazine, Dwell Magazine, Lux, Gray, Custom Home Design, on and on and on. And your background, your schooling, Yale, Harvard, when you could have done anything, how did you choose residential architecture? Or maybe I should say, what caused you to choose residential architecture as a career? Uh, yeah, essay question, but I'll, I'll be brief. So just kind of scrolling back to college, um, I, I, even before college, I liked inventing stuff. I liked uh, disassembling things and putting them back in different ways. Like people would bring me old appliances and I would either fix them or I'd you know, take them apart and put them back together in a different way. So I thought I was going to be an engineer. And I started off in electrical engineering and actually ended up with a degree in electrical engineering. But about halfway through, I took an architecture course, a studio design course, and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with uh, the making and the spirit of possibility and doing it collaboratively. Um, it's hard to convey how exciting design school is. It's also brutal, um, <laughs> but uh, just that feeling of being in this beehive of activity of people who are excited about 
making things and exploring things that that made the decision for me in retrospect i know that that's possible in engineering and lots of other fields too um at that time it just felt like a good match and so coming out of undergrad i got a job that was billed as an internship with a, a great guy uh, architect who also co-owned a woodworking shop and what i took away from that experience was it was somebody who loved what they did and loved his clients and I thought, you know, that's that's for me. So I, I went on and I got other experience and I went back to grad school, but that was the that was the thread for me. And when I got out of school, I went to work for another residential architect. And that's what's felt like a good fit. But for me, it's not so much the building type. Um, it's the the kind of relationship that you can have with people over time. Um, and being uh a good guide to this thing that I fell in love with. And so that's part of wanting to uh, to share that kind of experience that I had in grad school. Geez, this is really, this is really fun to do this with other people <laughs> over time. And that's, you mentioned some of the organizations that I've been part of. I don't think of myself as a committee person. I just like, uh, I found the need to do that to sort of reassemble that creative hive. Because as a residential architect, you tend to get kind of siloed off on your own and your little your little firm and you start to lose touch. So that's what I've been selfishly motivated to try to connect designers and strengthen the community here and, and other places. Nice. I really appreciate you explaining that. Well, certainly thousands of all of homeowners are quite happy that you went into residential architecture and not in engineering because they've got <laughs> they've got a dream home crafted by the best uh, because you went in that direction. Well done, John. Great, thank you. Well, again, I want to thank you for uh, being on the program. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, you shared a lot and it's very valuable. Appreciate it. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download the entire show wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. Oh, wait, I, I've John, how do we get in touch with you? Oh, this is the most important part you. of the whole show. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> uh, everything works. Phone call works. Uh, the uh, you know We have a website that has a link on it. And I, I would also point out that we have a, sort of frequently asked questions part of the website that covers a bunch of this. And then we've recently written up uh, a bunch of it into a form that we can share. So um, if you wanna know more, uh, whether we're the, the right fit for the project or not, I feel uh, an obligation to kind of help people find their way um, with limits, but uh, so just, just write to office at DeForest Architects and I will see it and always answer um, with whatever helpful advice I can give. Okay, so that was office at DeForest, D-E-F-O-R-E-S-T, Architects. Is that all one word? It's all one word and it has an S at the end. And there's also a, there's a link on our website, you know, under the usual contact us. That also gets to me, so. Okay, now I can do my extra. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, John, for being with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download the entire program wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home 
I'm your host, KT, and we'll see you next week.